Side Story, I played Anthem. It's bad. Sorry, guys, if you're looking forward to it. <laughs> I'll include that in the recap just to piss off anyone who happens to listen to it. <laughs> I know it's a demo, but ooh, man, is it bad. So uh, the next day, or at least like when you guys all feel rested enough, you sort of wake up on your own time. Is there any like weird astral plants or anything? It looks like mountainous terrain above the, um, what do you call that? The line where trees stop growing? Tree line. <laughs> tree line. <laughs> the thing is, you guys see a lot of spirits. Uh, there's like little souls kind of running around. Occasionally, they'll pass through you, and when they do, uh, you get little brief glimpses of um, what it what their life was um, back on Earth. Korak would address the party and say, "Something just flew into me." The giant silver lake, laying so far out in front of you um it doesn't seem like it's moving closer to you even though you walk for like a full day are we seeing are we seeing like dead spirits or are they just spirits quick and landis are are looking at each other going yeah i don't i don't you got anything and webby's like uh these spirits are spirits from the material plane and roran budges and goes "Uh, actually (laughs) (laughs) actually guys (laughs) when you crash into them or they fly through you you get like these waves of raw emotion or strange abstract thought will kind of buzz through your head real quick. What kind of weird twisted role would I have to make to seek out Kalahara? Twelve. Oh my god! By coincidence, like, the, I, I, I feel bad, I don't remember the first name, but the one that we basically we saved her Shaver? daughter. Or we sister. Saved her sister. We saved the younger sister. You're talking yeah, about the yeah, older yeah. one. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, the one who we we tried to save, but I think the arrows were dipped in something we couldn't really we couldn't save. Um, let's look at, over your spells real quick. You have a you have a spell right here called Speak with the Dead. It's <laughs> <laughs> like. It's like Danny saying, who has to spell magic? Oh, I have to spell magic. <laughs> oh! It's kind of like, if only we had anybody with necrotic spells, and as I'm saying that, like, bones are falling out of my pocket. <laughs> Your fourth or fifth day walking, you kind of get a little bit, you're just like antsy, you want to do something different, because this terrain is like, it's all the same, it seems like. So you cast this spell, and it doesn't really seem like anything happens at first. Um, and then when you turn around, there's just like this orb right in your face. And you hear the name, um, Ziada is being shouted out of the orb. It sort of materializes into the form of, uh, Chayrin Kalahara. Sister's safe. She's back at home. With your mother. She nods and closes her eyes for a second and, like, kind of, even though she's a ghost, she, like, kind of, you see her, like, breathe in. And she opens her eyes and she says, thank you. Gonna ask her if there's any message you wanna, that she wants to pass on to Raylene or Ziada. Tell mother that Gauntlet plans to march on Cloudhenge. I was gonna ask you, Asa. Do we know of the Quellist at least, or anything about him? Those bunch of losers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you talked with Malachi. Malachi oh, he told, told me. He told you about the Quellists. She, she kind of like looks at all of you and she's like, you're all here. You're not dead, but you're here. I would just kind of sigh and gesture towards Mr. Sorry. You're here because of an accident. How do you plan to go home? You know that you're being watched, right? I guess I would kind of address her in the party, you know. Sometimes you make mistakes, sometimes you sleep with somebody you shouldn't, sometimes you worship something you shouldn't. I've done both of those, but that I isn't a previous lover. It's something I shouldn't have worshipped. Oh, in my youth, in Master's Point, I studied the arcane, but I didn't have a knack for it. Um, I also was homeless and starving from day-to-day. Situations would change whether I was in favor of people or not. I stole and I killed for money if it kept me alive. Um, eventually, I was on the wrong end of an assassination gone horribly wrong, and it was against somebody who could actually control the arcane. Uh, something that I now know is Ichabar saved my life and took great interest in me and started giving me my powers. I now know that I was merely a, uh, a microscope for him. Uh, he's very interested in the djinn, I believe. He's very interested in El Sphere, I believe. And 
uh, the longer I communed with him, I think I made our situation much worse. And now that I really know where my powers come from, which is my lineage and not by some weird celestial giving me fake powers, um, I've been trying to do what I can to turn my knowledge of him around just to help us, but it kind of feels like I'm fighting the inevitable at this point. Ichabar wants to eat the djinn, the gods even raise concern at the mention of his name. Just to be clear, you don't still serve Ichabar, do you? No. Because that no, might I, be a problem. Uh, I now commune with my father, Garrisil. He now, he recognized that I was ready. He recognized that I was going down a path I didn't necessarily know was wrong, and he gave me his blessings. Well, I'm sure we've all done things in the past we're not proud of, but <laughs> as yes. long as you're not still <laughs> working for the god that wants to consume everything, I think we can I think we can work it out. Ichabar is a really good example of everything I hate about myself and that the only reason I was drawn to the arcane was because I wanted to just, I wanted to consume, I wanted power, I wanted the beans to not live on the streets, to not feel abused and, you know, stupid. But now that I put a little bit of distance between me and Ichabar, I realized he, he was, he was me. Like, he really was. Like, all he cares about is consuming and power. Um, every time that Korak says the word Ichabar out loud, all of you see that red eye, like, appear appear and blink and wink out of existence. I just pictured the Russell Crowe meme. <laughs> <laughs> Does Korak still have his book from his previous patron? Oh yeah, he would have taken it out at this point. I would have been gesturing towards it that, uh... I think I even shared this before. I have done literally everything I can to make this book go away. I have burned it. I threw it down a cliff. I, 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 it comes back to me. If I fall asleep, it's in my hands the next day. I'd be interested in reading that book sometime, if there's time. Anything we can know about Ichabar, I think, would help us at this point. Can I do a religion check to see if I make any sense of it? So Korak, how is Garrisel different? You'll have to forgive my ignorance about these gods. To me, they all seem greedy and power-hungry, but... Ichabar, I don't even know what he is. But it's kind of like trying to explain the word hunger in more languages than you understand. That's what it feels like to know Ichabar. Garrisil is actually, I mean, even before I knew who he really was, I recognized what he represented as a, basically a herald of the dead. You know, simply because of Garrisil's domain, I feel like his words to his fellow gods fall on deaf ears. Both Gob and Roran, you guys are looking at this book after Korak passed it to you. And on every page, it looks like the same inscriptions, because it's in every language. You see it written in common, Elvish, Dwarvish, Orcish, etc., etc., etc. And the inscription is just, <clears throat> Where lies the strangling fruit that came from the hand of the sinner, I shall bring forth the seeds of the dead to share with the worms that gather in the darkness and surround the world with the power of the lives, <laughs> while from the dimlit halls of other places forms that could never be uh, writhe for the impatience of the few who have never seen or been seen. In the black water with the sun shining at midnight those fruits shall come ripe and in the darkness of that which golden shall split open to reveal the revelation of the fatal softness of the earth. The shadows and the abyss, excuse me, the shadows of the abyss are like petals of a monstrous flower that shall blossom within the skull and expand the mind beyond what any man can bear. There shall be a fire that knows your name, and in the presence of the strangling fruit, its darkness shall acquire every part of you. Somebody was on shrooms. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. Landis shakes his head as if he gets it. <laughs> you you recognize that this is like a very deeply personal, bonded type of a book, and you're not going to be able to read it in the traditional sense. God would have, at the very up. least, copy this into his journal that he started keeping recently. What, I'm, what he's trying to share is that I'm reading the same thing as you guys, and I don't understand it. But I do remember a time when I wrote something that made sense to me, and it was something that I was like, I need to, I need to hide, I need to maintain this information. It's something I figured out about him, and maybe why he's interested in me. And then he probably looked at it mere minutes later, and it was just something he couldn't understand. Roran is notably is disgusted. Watting away these stupid little orbs away from his head. I feel like if I don't share this information, if I don't let you guys know who I was, 
it could come back to haunt me, and I can't have that. I spent too long by myself. I spent too long. <laughs> you hear a voice that says, "This guy gets it." Okay. Do you guys hear something? Charon points at Landis. It says it's coming from him. Landis has no, a voice. No, you don't know anything about Landis, but <laughs> Ghost, it's not coming from him. You hear another voice that says, "Yeah, I'm kind of tired." <laughs> kind of tired too. Just being in your goddamn head all day is taxing. Landis has a passenger. You know, since you know it's coming from one of these gin objects, you do remember that Landis um, swallowed the little ring, the brass ring that he got, that he picked up? And then <laughs> he goes back to, to meditating. And then you hear another voice that, that says, you know, this guy really tries hard to act like he gives zero fucks about you guys. But just so you know, that and then Landis kind of smacks himself across the face and then points at his belly, you know, in kind of a commanding way. Rip him open. <laughs> I'm the real arcana on that tummy. <laughs> the, the whole time Charon's like sitting here, like looking, looking around. At this point, she, you're down to like one question. And she kind of laughs, and she's, she kind of shakes her head, too, and she's like, I swear, you guys have been nothing but trouble, huh? Just one thing after the other. She nods to you and says, thank you for delivering my sister home safe. You should know your mother's proud of you. Oh, here we go. <laughs> she just kind of waves and disappears. Oof, that was close. I thought she noticed the displacer beast cloak i'm in the good oh <laughs> you guys make camp for your it's this is your fifth night i guess korak you know that your past seems to be living at the forefront of your mind um and every night that you go to sleep um you remember with perfect clarity all of the terrible things that you've done um it doesn't weigh on you like guilt it just kind of exists as fact like you're looking at it from purely a um analytical standpoint and every time that you think that you've seen ichabar's eye looking at you in this place um you relive all of those moments your worst moments again um maybe not like in your waking hours but certainly when you're laying down trying to sleep and every time something new or like seemingly new kind of crops up, uh, something it's something you don't recognize immediately. These flashes of memory that you get um, are things that you, like, again, you don't immediately recognize, but you know that they belong to you. Watching a pack of wolves tear apart the child you swore you'd protect. You're pinned to the ground by the alpha of the pack. Your sharpened stick is in his throat. His body is lifeless and cold on top of you, but it's too heavy and it's trapping you underneath. You're screaming a litany of curses and powerful magics at the advancing raider army. But there's so many of them and the walls of the city could have never held them back. You watch as the all-wise djinn whom you've always believed would aid you in your hours of need turned and fled from the carnage. Grasping for the hand of your love your truest partner in this life and every life to come. Her eyes are unblinking and glassy. The war rages on all around you. There's echoes of laughter from Korg and his acolytes as they clash against the cries of anguish from your father. You remember mistakenly revealing a piece of information to your student in an after-class evaluation. You remember watching the light in her eyes change from blazingly curious to the cold steel of a killer. Then, you remember the day that you stared across the desolate stretch of sea from your perch on Sanhar Island. You remember uttering the mind bind to rid this new life of yours of all your previous life's memories. Jesus Christ, okay. This isn't a torture. This isn't something that you're, like, lying awake in cold sweats and agony remembering. Sure, sounds like it. This is just... <laughs> this is just a representation of things that were. Yeah, it is now, let's say, day 12. I would try to talk to that gin in Landis's belly. <laughs> I feel like me and Landis have been through a lot, though, so I feel like it would be okay if Cobb did it. I don't think you guys understand. This guy is 
Just, oh man, the stuff that's going on and he's blocking down in his head right now. You have no idea. You're very clearly able to distinguish between people spirits and like astral plane spirits. A lot of these that are surrounding the top of Landis's head are like spirits of extreme anguish and regret. There are times when he can't hold it back any longer and I can basically get into his mind and we're, we're basically linked. He's pretty darn good at holding this stuff back, and I'm getting pictures, stuff that would make you not be able to sleep at night. I've traveled with Landis a long time, and he's never mentioned any of it. That was low-hanging. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I've only caught glimpses. It seems like any time these orbs get around him, he has to go retreat back, and sometimes he can sequester what I'm saying, but he loses focus on being able to do it all the time. Um, and it seems like when these orbs show up, he has to, you know, kind of quiet his mind a little bit. He must have had years of practice doing this because he's pretty good at it. And about 10 minutes later, Landis pops his head out and kind of just goes back to screwing around. You feeling okay, Landis? Gives you the A-OK -okay sign and then moons you. So I'm trying to see if these are vengeful spirits, if they're connected to Landis's past. If these are like some sort of vengeance, kind of. There was a moment when you touched one of them and it wasn't just like, ah, man, I need to get revenge. Like, it was like an all-consuming feeling that you had that of the need for revenge. The thing that you saw was there was a, a half-elf woman, and all you saw was her face um, as she lay dead. When Landis hears you guys talking about a half-elf, he springs out of God's hood and smacks Lorne in the face and kind of pushes him away and just <laughs> wags his finger at him and then jumps back into Gob's hood. And then uh, you hear a voice that says, uh, that struck a nerve with him. Probably shouldn't be doing that. Don't talk about her. When you just say lover, uh, Landis smacks you in the back of the head, Gob. You hear the voice that says, it was much more than that. That that appears to be his wife. Landis you, was married? Gob, uh, you... You can uh, just feel Landis shaking in, in your hood. It's, it's not not only his wife. Uh, I can clearly see or her, and uh, it appears to be his daughter uh, laying dead. Oh. And he's uh, frantically searching for somebody else, and it doesn't look like he ever found found them. Oh, wow. He was coming back. Appears to be he was a, a high-ranking officer in the military he had just sent a letter back to his kids letting them know that he was on his way back that he was uh finishing up peace talks with the invading army he had had them on the ropes just trying to be generous military on the other side came and and attacked them in the night and he had sent home some of his men early so that they could be with their family and it looks like that probably wasn't the best decision. Uh, they came in and wiped out almost everybody and uh, advanced onto the town. And uh, they, they killed the remaining families. Very few were left. And then you kind of get broken, broken uh, communication uh, with, with the voice. Uh, the last, last thing uh, uh, the voice tells you is that uh, there was a woman that came up to him and uh, uh, smacked Landis in the face and she appeared to be a grieving what appeared to be a grieving widow I lost everything and you told me before you left that you were going to protect my husband. Not only do I not have him, but my children are all dead. And uh, she has blood all over her hands. And now that blood is on Landis's face. And all he can do is just cower. And he lowers his head and 
just starts sprinting. He runs into the forest nearby the town. He calls out, uh, I'm guessing it was his child's name. And, and then that's all you can hear. And Landis springs to his feet, runs over to Webby's pouch, grabs one of those seagulls, and just shoves it down his throat. He tries to vomit. He can't. So he punches himself in the stomach. And uh, he defecates. And the ring comes out. Landis well, just starts sprinting in uh, the uh, direction that you guys have been traveling. Roran, as you're kind of like looking at these spirits and you're sort of having this like thought process that you're doing. <laughs> roll, roll your constitution saving throw. Can someone get him some water? <laughs> roll a constitution saving throw. Hey, where are you going? You failed it, can't you tell? <laughs> I don't want to be in, which is watching something like this happen. I literally can't do anything. <laughs> uh, all right, Roran, you're looking at these spirits, and you're kind of just like it's not the first time that you've given the whole astral plane kind of a looking over, but as you kind of go into these thoughts, you know, you're 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 sitting there thinking about the astral plane and what you know of it, and um, well, being a man of the cloth, you've spent plenty of time uh, thinking about what the plane of souls would be like and now that you're squat in the center of it it's not really what you thought it would be and it's even less than you hoped it would be the mythos surrounding the astral plane talks about how the whole place is filled to the brim with souls there's divine wardens that march around um, creating order from chaos and sometimes even the gods themselves will stroll through uh, with gold being spun from the light that sheds off of their wake. These are just a shadow of the truth now that you're here to see it. While you see lots of these souls wandering through the plane, um, and your encounter with Ragnos does indeed confirm that Divine Wardens are here roaming, um, you get the idea that it's really just... There's too much space here. And it's honestly astounding that you even ran into Ragnos at all, let alone as soon as you entered the plane. This place is everything the opposite of your home. And maybe that's why your hopes were shaped the way that they were. River Shroud is such a small and crowded town. The the church ruled above all else, and you saw the clerics strolling the streets, creating order from chaos. And sometimes the high priests were known to occasionally grace the streets with their presence, acting as though they were gods among men. This is when the church, the corporate spirit of the church at least, began to sour your tongue. And your thoughts turned to, how long has it been since you left home? As this thought makes its bitter trail across your mind, a new thought enters. Now that you've been through the astral plane, will you be able to return home? This is a very interesting place, and I'm not so much feeling homesick as much as I'm at a loss of... I'm at a loss for words on how to compare what I'm feeling now to what I'm feeling when I think of River Shroud. My home river shroud is a place where I wanted to get back to, but now that I've come to see supposedly the eternal place of where our souls go, and it's just completely mm, opposite, I suppose, of what I have was raised to believe, I'm wondering if I can even go back home. Like, my mind is blown right now. <laughs> has been blown for the past 12 days just knowing that the entire my entire hopes have been uh, uh, dashed away compared to what my religion has taught me and now I'm wondering if I even want to return or just keep on living in exile as I am right now can I ask you a question Roran? go ahead what did they teach you about this plane or about the afterlife? I didn't expect it to be so vast and empty and full of just disembodied souls. You're expecting something a bit nicer, fancier? A little less chaotic, a little less um, giant eyes watching us. 
and perhaps a place of peace where no evil would be. But apparently evil can still penetrate into this plane. I definitely haven't felt at peace the minute we've been in here. If I'm to be honest with you guys, is that I've spent most of my exile trying to find out ways to get back home. And now I'm wondering if that's even a worthy cause to continue on. How long have you been trying to get back home? It's been about 35 years. Now I wonder if I'd rather see the rest of our world before my time is to come into the astral plane. I'm starting to see some connective tissue that binds us all together. Yeah, we're all <laughs> messed up. It seems we've all been <laughs> on the run on our own. But maybe that's what drew us together. Maybe that that life that we hope for isn't in the past, but maybe it's still in the future. That dream of home, I think, might be gone for all of us, but maybe we can still build one. I know I left my family a long time ago, but now in these past years traveling with you guys, I feel like I have a new family. I feel like the only reason I would want to go back home would be to free them from certain people that are oppressing my family. These oppressive people, religious? I really like uh, killing oppressive religious people. Back in these so forward. Oh. Do you? You do know I'm like a cleric, right? I've mean, never what's crossed we... me though. Oh, okay. <laughs> we could just go over there for a quick bite to eat. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> well, if you do feel the need to go back there, I'll go with you. Yeah, I think what I'm what I'm trying to say in my not so straightforward way is, I would I would go. I think that's still a decision I have to make down the road. Um, I am sticking with you guys to on this journey. Webby, <clears throat> there's been lots of times in your life that you felt lonely. Um, your short but eventful life hasn't left you with all too much time to regret or envy. For the first time since your master was killed, your body shakes with a terrible grief that is rooted in self-pity. Um, in, in loneliness. This time that you've spent in the astral plane has given you this brief yet terrible glimpse into the lives of souls wandering about, um, but there's none that are Ettercap. Your dreams when you go to sleep at night are infested with um, wooded graveyards and multi-limbed shadows. You look at this um, small collection of friends that you have in front of you and there's a warmth that returns to you and you are able to take another breath knowing that you aren't at least in literal effect alone there's an almost spiritual hand that lays atop your head and it assures you that these people around you they love you and given the chance they would die for you and you're able to take some solace in that Mr. Webby would kind of pipe up and say, like, the people that we're trying to stop, I hope it's them. They've taken everything from me, and I have no memories of what was before. I see Webby is distraught and ask him, what's up, buddy? I don't know my people. The one person in my life who I viewed as my teacher, my father, was murdered. Your father in Ettercap too? No, he was the human wizard. What was your father like? Very serious. Most of uh, what he taught me was being able to speak your tongue, because otherwise it was just a lot of clicking and biting, and I think he swore a few, but I didn't learn those words till later. <laughs> he was training me magic, and one day some um, wizards just showed up and were demanding that he hand me over got into a fight I just later just kind of crawled up on the ceiling like I normally do and just went after them I I I tried to save him with the spell he taught me and I murdered my father it's all my fault oh. maybe if I went with them he would still be alive and I would still have someone who I could call family. That's messed up. Uh, yeah. Yep, I think we all lost family. Gob, you actually hear a sound. The rod begins um, saying, Webby, 
it's like Web Webby, Webby, and uh, and then at some point it chuckles and it says, "Mr. Sorry." At some point though, a, a new spirit flies into the camp, lands itself in the middle of all of you, and takes shape of a of a human. Oh, Webby, you recognize your. Your master, your father. Nonami is grinning at you with this giant, this huge grin on his face. And he's just like, why? Why is everyone referring to you as Mr. Sorry? Ragnos said it first and it spread through some of the spirits. And now Tenerai is saying it. And I just, it's crazy. I kind of stopped a dark ritual with dispel magic and uh, poof, we're here. That seems to be a fault of yours in my experience, but um, I'm not... Not getting down on you for that. So you're here because you stopped a ritual? That doesn't make sense. There's some necrotic using uh, wizards that are trying to ugh, cause trouble in the world. So you're just up to the same old shit, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> I really had hoped that my training would have gone to better use, but uh, no, sir. You don't no, seem sir. to be doing badly for yourself so i guess there's that these are your i'm assuming this is your your easier friends your well, I mean, no. one ran traveling off, partners or his like, family he'll probably be back he's turning to each of you in turn and he's kind of like nodding in acknowledgement well it's nice nice to meet you all i trust you're taking care of him or he's taking care of you or you all look well i mean you know other than the fact you're where people go to die but <laughs> What what do you what do you know of that day that fateful day? You just taught me that spell that I try to use to save you, and um, well, I mean, you're dead now, so you, you know I killed you and all that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you understand, son, that that wasn't that wasn't your fault. You get that. Right? I need you... I need you to tell me that you understand that that wasn't your fault. He just kind of looks around. Webby, I need to hear you say it. I suppose. I mean, I want to kill them, but I, I don't know what I want to do afterwards. He looks concerned because he wants to make sure that you know that he doesn't blame you for what happened. Do you know who they were? They were calling themselves an organization. I prefer the term cult. I once had a great teacher at the Triandus Mage Academy. He tended to bring out the more controversial portions of the more difficult students. And, well, she was one of his students. And I don't know her well, but she's the reason that he's dead. And I do believe that it was this student who uh, was trying to get you. They kept coming for you. Her people kept coming to try and take you from me. And when I wanted nothing to do with it and he stops and he hangs his head and he's like no, this isn't right. I need to be truthful with you. Webby, I used to work with Zanatha. I realize now that she's someone who you guys are actively seeking. And I need to make it clear that that path for me ended a long time ago. She had this idea to tear a rift here into the astral plane. And that's why we have the Changeland in the West. Her ideals were tantalizing to someone like me, someone who studies magic and arcana. And the, when she found a way to open this rift, to this tear this 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 terrible change and bring it upon the world that's when i realized that maybe i'd been doing things wrong for a long time because she didn't want to she wasn't trying to further the goals of most wizards and mages and people of the arcane she was looking for something or or for someone and she didn't care who got in her way and I watched more than one person burn alive in front of her. And when she came for you, we had a falling out. And I was lucky to get away with my life at that time. But her people still kept coming. Why would she be after me? 
you are an anomaly. Ettercap didn't exist in the material plane until maybe 2,000 years ago. And I don't know the exact logic behind it, but there are those who say that it had something to do with... Uh, with Wabajack and his grief amongst the gods. You were just a tiny little spider. I couldn't... You were so innocent. I, there was no way I was going to let you go into a, a life of forced servitude. She's... You get she's trafficking mages across the eastern lands of Dilge. She's got dragonborn families working for her to fairy people that she can send like lambs to the slaughter. He's kind of looking at you. He's... I don't mean to cut this short, but I do have an appointment with another set of wizards' souls here. We play chess every Wednesday. Webby, I'm not... I'm not gone. I haven't left you. I might be dead, but I'm still here, and I'm still here for you. I can feel your emotions, you know? I know that you hurt, and that it's painful inside, but I need you to know that <laughs> you're gonna be just fine. He bends over, and he picks up a stone, and then he squeezes it, and the actual physical stone falls out of the back of his hand. But then he, like, turns it over, and he hands you something and when you hold out your palm there's a tiny little translucent stone and he tells you he's like if you just need some reassurance you give that a squeeze i'll see you again i'm sure all my hands just start waving at you even though you're right in front of me yeah god would be pretty upset that um Zenitho would seek after webby and go find him even though he never got sought after by her never got contacted by her or anything mm. a little bit of jealousy so gob um, your father's visit that night, that first night that you spent in the astral plane, it was not the only one. Um, he's come back probably every other two or three days as you continue walking onward towards the never closer Lake of Silver. After your initial shock of the first night and your rather emotional reunion, you gain strength enough to ask him some more questions if you like. And every time that he's appeared, he's offered to appear before your friends, um, but he respects your choice to keep his presence private. After the other stuff we've gone through in these 12 days, I would be fine with him showing up in front of everybody. It's my dad, Oral. Taught me everything I know about wizarding. Oral's kind of standing there looking at all of you, and he's got like a sad smile on his face, but you can tell that he's pretty genuinely happy. He keeps glancing at Gob whenever Gob is talking, and you can just tell that he's beaming with pride. So I heard it was a ancient blue dragon that finally was too much for you. What what happened? Gob, how much of the legend of Indipidus do you know? That, did you tell me that when we were younger? I may have woven it into some of your stories when we when you were younger, but Indipidus has always been, you know, forgive my my crude speak but a fairy tale we live in a world of magic and monsters but it's been fabled that there is a set of armor uh that was forged by the the ancient warlock osiris and wearing this armor would gain you control over this dragon there was a time in my life when i thought i had all the pieces of this armor and that's why i took that group and we set off to find the dragon well, the, really the cover story we had was that the dragon was indeed being a terror to some of the local farmers, but ultimately we tried to let dragons live well enough alone. I saw you guys lend a helping hand to that green dragon some time ago when you spent some time in Cloudhenge, I believe. There may be a time when that gentleness will be repaid. But we were not gentle with Antipodus. And we stormed his keep, his lair, if you will, and we paid the price for it. It was nothing but hubris. I thought I could control a, a force that was truly stronger than myself, and that was what led to my death. Was that your first time fighting him, or did you fight him other times? I studied him for some time. Trying to find out a dragon's true name is <laughs> a monumental task at best. At worst, it's a fool's errand, really. We spent some time collecting all the armors that we thought could possibly be of Osiris uh, until we really thought we had the, the right combination and the group we went out with insisted I wear it. And had I been correct the first time, 
uh, Indipitous would have been under my control and it wouldn't have been, there would have been no fight. You just would have seen me riding out of that grove, riding on the back of an ancient blue dragon, but instead, all you got was a light show. A really spectacular light show, I might add. Did you at least take him down? He's quite the crafty creature. I was able to send him out of the material plane, but uh, I am afraid that the curse I put on him only allows him to travel through all of the planes rather easily, which lends a power-hungry dragon a rather serious power. I realize now that the, the piece that I was missing... How do I put this lightly? Your mother had it. Did she wear it, or did she just keep it in her in her study, in her lab? She never wore them, and she never said that she had them. I don't doubt. But since my disappearance, she was able to collect the rest of the pieces. And if that's the truth, then your mother has the ability to control one of the most dangerous dragons that this world has ever seen. This is tricky ground, Gob, because... As much as I would love to leave you a family heirloom, there is a group of people out there who are actively searching for this armor set, and there's only one of them that I would trust to have it. Have you heard of the Quellists? I've heard of them. The cleric amongst the the five of them has recently sort of reinvigorated the, the grand search. He's dead set on finding it, and if there was one group of people, the Quellists are quite literally the best candidate to try and find and take care of the indipitous threat. And I've been in contact with uh, this this Luke Lunker. I'm asking you, God, please hand that, that armor over to Luke. He, you can trust him. You can trust them. I don't have the armor, though. When you finally face your mother, you very well may have to take it from her. Maybe I could tell her to hand it over. That is the hope. Your mother won't be very willing to let that go, as it is one of her last memories of me. Yeah, she just, after you left, she wasn't herself anymore. Um, I don't know, her eyes were black. She just locked herself in her lab for days on end. I'd peek in there and there'd be weird spectral forms floating through the lab. Like, I, I'm just worried she got involved with something she doesn't understand. And as I've been traveling, I've learned about different gods and their, their, um, what they would do to this world, and I feel like she's got involved with some bad, some bad forces, and I, I just don't know some how. Bad to, hombres. Some bad hombres. I don't know. Have you seen her? Have you, I mean, contacted her? Do you know what what she's getting involved in? <laughs> she started all of this madness in her search to re reclaim my soul from this space, but. <laughs> The magics that she wields now act as a ward for me, so it's been hard for me since she transcended as something of a lich. It's been difficult for me to actually get near to to see her, to kind of find out what she's been up to. The last thing that I remember was her and her <laughs> far-reaching group of wizard brigands if you will yeah we've encountered some of those yeah they've been attempting to siphon magic from literally any source they can get their hands on and it's not a, de a delicate or elegant process they it's more like taking a pickaxe and gouging out a chunk of magic and in doing this they killed the Vantark. He was the chosen, Waskell's chosen, to play the song and and keep, <laughs> keep beauty within the world. And he's now dead, thanks to their efforts. It just doesn't seem like her, you know? It doesn't seem like something she would do unless she's being controlled, unless she's just being a tool for some other deeper power. I just, I don't know. I just can't shake this feeling that she's just being used by Ichabar for his bidding. Don't say his name. Don't you see his eye every time you say that word? I see his eye and I see his hand and everything that's been controlling. Is she being controlled by him? Or is she doing this on her own will? It started with her looking into it of her own free will. I don't know where she is now. Do you know how long she was doing this? Um, it's probably been somewhere like the last 
25 years there, Korak? So, in a roundabout way, uh, Korak looks a little uncomfortable, feeling a little more responsible for what happened, possibly. To something he didn't even know he was involved with. You'll understand, I can't not help Phil. This creature doesn't discriminate, it just... It hungers. He can be quite persuasive. The the Jin, you you all are on your way to do what I believe is the right thing. You must free them. You must free the Jin. While this monster wants to consume them, I believe that uniting all of them together will indeed be enough to stop him. I don't like the implications of him actually arriving here because that is what Korg has been fighting for all this time. I'm sorry I'm not more knowledgeable about this. The the afterlife doesn't grant infinite knowledge. Do you play chess with my dad? Your dad is Nonami? Yes. Yes, we've become fast friends, yes. Who loses more? He loses, but I suspect that he's allowing me to win because he feels bad for me. Webby, he leans into you and he's like, you might say that he feels sorry for me. <laughs> Your dead dad got me. When I do find mom, what do you want me to tell her from you? I think I said everything to your mother that I po could have possibly said in the living world. I just, I never wanted this. I never wanted this for her. I never wanted this for you. I know it's my fault that I'm dead, but it's now the only person to blame is is her for these actions, these terrible, terrible things that she's wrought upon this world. All of a sudden he goes, <gasps> and he disappears. Like you see his orb, like he, his form snaps back to an orb and then just like flits away real fast. And, uh, and you hear a voice kind of come from in the middle of your camp from behind you guys, uh, says, well, you all have been wasting time. Uh, there's a snake-like, um, it looks like a shadow made solid, uh, and it's sort of in the form of a cobra. Uh, and it's, but it's got, like, a vaguely human facial features. Yeah, you people in your living bodies invading my plane of existence. I don't particularly appreciate this. I would like you out. Uh, Oral pops back in, he goes, that's Tenerai, and then disappears again you recognize the name as uh one of the divine domain wardens uh underneath garrisil the god of death this is technically the realm of the dead i am the master warden here i mean you have to understand where we're coming from we literally 12 days to do exactly what you're asking so i just pointed mr webby i don't care who brought you here or why you're here i just want you gone this reminds me of one of my favorite stories. Once upon a time, there was a little boy born in a little town. He was perfect, or so his mother thought. One thing was different about him, though. He had a gold screw in his belly button, just the head of it peeping out. Now, his mother was simply glad he had all his fingers and toes to count with, but as the boy grew up, he realized that not everyone had screws in their belly buttons, let alone gold ones. He asked his mother what it was for, but she didn't know. Next, he asked his father, but his father didn't know. He asked his grandparents, but they didn't know either. That settled it for a while, but it kept nagging him. Finally, when he was old enough, he packed a bag and set out, hoping he could find someone who knew the truth of it. He went from place to place, asking everyone who claimed to know something about anything. He asked the midwives and clerics, but they couldn't make heads or tails of it. The boy asked arcanists, tinkers, and old hermits living in the woods, but no one had ever seen anything like it. He went to ask the Cloudhenge merchants, thinking if anyone would know about gold, it would be them, but the Cloudhenge merchants didn't know. He went to the arcanists of the mage school, thinking that if anyone would know about screws and their workings, they would, but the arcanists didn't know. The boy sailed the Tayakota to ask the demon women of Harp Cry, but none of them could give him an answer. Eventually, he went to the king of Tychos, the richest king in all the world, but the king didn't know. He went to the emperor of Pharanos, but even with all his power, the emperor didn't know. He went to each of the small kingdoms one by one, but no one could tell him anything. Finally, the boy went to the high king of Prydain, the wisest of all the kings in the world. 
The High King looked closely at the head of the golden screw peeping from the boy's belly button. Then the king made a gesture, and his seneschal brought a pillow of golden silk. On that pillow was a golden box. The High King took a golden key from around his neck, opened the box, and inside was a golden screwdriver. Are you all still with me? The High King took the screwdriver and motioned the boy come closer. Trembling with excitement, the boy did. Then the king took the golden screwdriver and put it in the boy's belly button. Then the High King carefully turned the golden screw. Once, nothing. Twice, nothing. Then he turned it a third time, and the boy's ass fell off. And he, he's just looking at you, and he's like, that's it. <laughs> See, the thing is, like this story, you all are going nowhere. Despite the fact that you're encroaching in my domain, you haven't technically died, and therefore you're immune to my laws. And... Also, given the fact that you're traveling, and he motions to uh, Korak, he's like, given that you're traveling with the blood of Garasil, my master, you'll be allowed to leave, but I'd prefer that you go sooner rather than later. Sometimes, my friends, backwards is forwards. Speak plainly, Warden. Turn your ass around. So we run after Webby and... Uh... He snaps his fingers and both of them just like come smashing down into the middle of your camp. Now you're all together. That's great. Wonderful. Now go. So are we walking back? I'll head back the way we came, I guess. You literally make it around the first bend and there is the giant lake of silver that you've been trying to get to for so long. (laughs) Mr. Webby does a cannonball into the silver pool. So I jump into the pool, but then I fly just above it, not quite entering it. I just stare at him with that face. You're just like your father. You guys uh, dunk yourselves through Silver Lake. And when you sort of all come to, you're, you're sprawled around a, like, a campsite perfect, perfectly mim- mimicking the one that you had left. Um, and off in the distance, you spot a town. And nearby is a road. And on the road, there's a couple signs that are, like, you're at a crossroads. And there's one road specifically... Uh, that's leading towards that town that you can see off in the distance. Um, and the, the sign, the road sign that you see says, Half Day's Ride to Harp Cry. So yeah, you guys are heading in toward what you know to be Harp Cry. And uh, I think that's where we will wrap it up for tonight. I went to the astral plane and all I got back was this shitty ring. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, the levels on that joke. <laughs> 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 <laughs>